From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. As new Labor ministers begin their jobs in earnest, they say they're discovering an unexpected challenge, the depth of disarray left behind. According to some ministers, that looks like negligence, delayed decisions and a demoralised workforce. Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on the state of the public service and the new government's task to fix it. It's Thursday, June 16. So, Rick, it's been several weeks now since the election and incoming Labor ministers have been able to get to their departments, start the first few weeks of their job. And it's interesting because they've been in opposition for a long time, for a good decade. And obviously, when you're in opposition, you can't really see behind the curtain of what's going on in government. So now that these Labor ministers have crossed over, can you tell me about what it is that they're uncovering in the departments that they're a part of? Sure. I mean, I should say this is not a new thing, by the way. It's like any time there's a change of government between different sides of politics, there's a little bit of kind of hiding. Uh, We are inheriting a very serious set of economic and budget challenges. And there's no use mincing words about that or tiptoeing around the serious nature of the economic challenges that the new... But there's also that kind of the work that doesn't get done for ideological or perhaps more nefarious purposes, and that's kind of what we're uncovering now through the new Labor government. Now, we need to make sure that we are upfront with the Australian people about the seriousness and the nature and the magnitude of the challenges that our new government is inheriting from our predecessors. They're in power, they've been briefed by their departments, and they're suddenly getting eyes on projects that weren't funded properly, um, the nasty surprises from the former coalition government, and some pretty weird stuff that was going on with some of the policy development. Mm. Okay, well, Rick, can we dig in a little bit more into some of the detail of the quote-unquote nasty surprises that seem to have been in store? Can you tell me um, a bit more about what's being uncovered and what it actually means in terms of providing services, which is, of course, what government departments are supposed to do? Yes. Uh, Let's look, I guess, at social services, just as an example. I I spoke to the new social services minister, Amanda Rishworth, and and she told me that she was pretty concerned that there are some urgent matters to deal with. There were clearly nine years ago when we left government some some key issues we had to deal with, and I am surprised that nine years later these issues are back on the government's desk, the new government's desk, without having seen much meaningful action. So These issues are back on the new government's desk without having seen much meaningful action at all in between. I am surprised that it feels in in a number of areas there's been real drift, um, particularly in the social policy area. Um, Now, in her portfolio, which is social services, a view has emerged that the former government has dramatically underfunded the National Disability Insurance Scheme Quality and Safeguards Commission. That's the safety regulator, which has resulted in an agency increasingly relying on contractors and consultants to do the work of protecting the safety and quality of those services being provided to NDIS participants, which is pretty significant and crucial work, I must say. Um, Also, it's been put to me that some of the key pricing decisions for the uh, disability support scheme itself had also not been made, and that's adding to a logjam of work associated with the cost of providing services that are really critical for disabled people and providers alike. They need to know those prices. Right. Okay. So what does that actually mean then, Rick, for people who 
are on the NDIS in terms of the services that they're able to access and the cost of those services being provided. Yeah, it's really important and it's hard to get across exactly why, but just put it this way. The NDIS is one of the most finely tuned and finely balanced, complicated pieces of social, you know, program uh, in Australian history. And when you're delaying key decisions that have to be made within a legislated timeframe um, to keep the scheme running, you're actually setting off uh, this chain reaction of things that just can't get done on time. And this is a scheme that is already under phenomenal pressure because of the speed at which it has had to grow over the last five years. So, you know, it just means future planning was not happening. The new minister in social services, Amanda Richworth, is, you know, just another, as another example, is rushing to complete the next national plan to end violence against women and children um, with just weeks to go before the current one expires. It expires at the end of June. And she told me that she was concerned that the former government hadn't properly started planning for the end of the current one. And, and, and that's a big deal. Um, and the way one minister put it to me is that of the former government, I just don't think they cared. And that is perhaps, not surprisingly, a view shared by many in this new Labor government. Now, numerous ministers have described an almost catatonic public service and they were long ignored by coalition politics. Mm. Okay. And so, Rick, to what extent do you get the sense that any of this was ideological, that ministers weren't signing off on certain decisions, not because they couldn't, but because you know, these particular types of programs were not a government priority more broadly. Yeah. I mean, the way it was put to me, and I and I happen to think this is pretty spot on, the, the coalition government had some priorities and they were certainly very interested during the campaign of prosecuting this culture war around um, trans kids and, you know, some other pretty vague debates. But when it came to things like uh, the arts, uh, higher education, the environment, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, you know, even the plan to end violence against women and children, the fact that these things weren't foregrounded tells you everything I think you need to know about what the government was really about. Now, they, of course, will come out and say, we care about the NDS and we care about all of these things and we care about the arts. But you don't look at what they say, you look at what they do. And in this case, it's that they don't do things in these areas, certainly not at any particular speed and without any particular great funding input. We'll be back in a moment. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read the Saturday paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper. The whole story. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. 
Rick, the incoming government is saying that they're finding that in certain portfolios, areas like social services, there is this backlog of decisions that need to be made and a certain amount of of disarray in the department. I wonder, though, how this looks in other government areas. What about in the arts? Yes. Now, Tony Burke is Labor's new arts minister, and he has inherited this industry that is on its knees. Arts is an area that has had active harm done to it. And I, I should note that when opposition leader Peter Dutton announced his shadow ministry, the arts portfolio was initially left off the list completely. Not a great look. Uh, it was later given back to Paul Fletcher, who was the most recent arts minister in the coalition government. You know, National institutions are in chaos. The National Gallery of Australia in Canberra, which holds a $6 billion collection of public art, is almost falling down. And the coalition offered less than one quarter of the required $87 million to replace the crumbling infrastructure at the gallery. We're talking lifts, stairs, like remedial works to, you know, building structure, like not little things. It's not like putting a water fountain in the court. Effectively, we've had a long period where there's no fundamental guidance as to why the sector matters. And Burke said earlier this month, there has not been any guidance, he's talking from the government, that these are serious industries and, and, and that these are serious jobs. Because I had previously always wanted to argue only the cultural value of the sector, uh, and that was what I thought was my job. Mm. Uh, what I realised when the pandemic hit was, for a whole lot of people, arts workers weren't even being considered workers. And he said, I don't think we've had an arts minister see it as a priority in that sense for a long time, and I really want to bring that back. Now, part of the job that we'll have to do with cultural policy this time is not simply look at the cultural value, but really make sure in a formal way Australia has acknowledged the economic power of this sector. Now, another minister put it more bluntly to me. They said, things get overlooked and every government has to create priorities. But the arts are just like the university sector in that we know the coalition just doesn't give us stuff because they don't think there are any votes in it for them. And, and that minister went on to say, you know, when a new government comes in, you're not just dealing with a few delays with projects or some bad bookkeeping, but often you're trying to actively undo harm that has been done over many years. And Rick, how do you go about actively undoing harm like that? Because you're describing a, a worn out, quote unquote, catatonic public service. And when that happens, that kind of culture can become quite entrenched and quite difficult to shift. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, you can change things with a new direction by just listening to people. Like the public service just, they're, they're really talented, they're smart, this is their whole life. Many of them have been training for this to moment to provide frank and fearless advice to a government, but also to provide their own ideas for reform that may or may not get flicked off um, or ticked off by ministers. Um, now, the sense was in the previous government that they just didn't care because, again, there was this view that the public service was kind of like a lefty elite who didn't really know what real Australia was like. But also, I mean, people assume that it's very easy to get a new government to talk about stuff like this because, you know, it's a new government. They get to hang out all this dirty laundry on their political opponents. But it's actually quite difficult because these are their problems now and they're not necessarily racing to tell you everything that's gone wrong or that they're going to have to deal with because they're now in a position where if you've let multiple services in your car go without, you know, taking it to a mechanic, it's not just the tyres that need replacing at the end, it's the full-body job, which is really expensive to do. And that's kind of where we see this language from the new government talking about, you know, it's not going to be easy, the next budget's not going to be easy, there's a lot of spending that's been happening under the old government but not necessarily where it's needed And that is why, you know, when you've got journalists looking at this stuff, it's important to keep up accountability 
no matter who's in government, because it's in some respects, it's the machine itself that keeps ticking. Yeah, that's interesting, Rick, because obviously during the election campaign, Labor spoke a lot about how if they got into government, they would find the ways in which the previous government had been wasting money internally. And so I just wonder, as I've been telling you about what they're discovering in these departments, is there any talk of actually uncovering government spending waste as well? Yeah, they're definitely looking for it. And I know this won't come as a surprise to anyone, but I know that they are looking at the grants programs very carefully because there were rorts for days um, under those grants programs under the former government, you know, where they were, you know, colour-coded spreadsheets for sports rorts to, to essentially give any member of parliament, especially in a marginal seat, access to grant money that was not decided on any criteria other than how marginal was the seat, which, of course, resulted in a heavy favour of funding going to marginal coalition electorates. You know, Jim Chalmers has been very upfront about, yes, we need to find savings, but they need to do it in a way that isn't just kind of like getting the scythe out and and sweeping through holus bolus. And it's the same with spending. They actually do want to have some new spending, but it's going to have to be in ways that help the economy. Mm. And so, Rick, taking a look at all of it, at the unsigned contracts, at the demoralised public service, what does that all suggest to you about the, the final months of the outgoing coalition government. I don't want to be melodramatic about it, but it, it is very much like, you know, the siege of the capital or the fall of Rome or something like that, where it's just like, all right, everything's over. Take what you can get. If you've got time to leave a booby trap, go for it. But otherwise, get the hell out of the building. And, you know, there's no handover. <laughs> but in politics, you've got the added disadvantage, I guess, of not only is the new person coming to replace you in the new government, not you, so you don't have to do the work, but it's probably a political opponent. And so it's in your best interest to leave them in the lurch a little bit. But the thing is, you know, what we are aware of so far is only what ministers have found. And this is just in the first few weeks, right? So, you know, I was talking to one minister and they said that the depth of the rot over the nine years of the coalition government is something we've known, but it will it will take time to quantify. So this minister is essentially saying that the mode of operating as a government changed a little bit. It became more secretive, less transparent and more tricky, to use their word. And, and I think that's true. And I think we will see a lot of that come to light through this Integrity Commission, which Mark Dreyfus, the new Attorney General, says should be up and running in the middle of uh, next year, 2023. And I, for one, as a journalist, am fascinated by what is going to come out because there is a lot being hinted at over the last nine years. And I am desperate, desperate to see a little bit more transparency come into this area. Mm. Rick, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thanks, Ruby. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Memento. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, the minimum wage will be increased by 5.2%, slightly above inflation, on July 1. Workers on minimum wage will have their hourly rate increased by $1.05 to $21.38 an hour. The Fair Work Commission said the decision will affect over 2.7 million workers and that the increase will not adversely impact the economy. 
Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said the government absolutely welcomed the Fair Work Commission's decision. And the Australian energy market operator has taken the extraordinary step of suspending the market for wholesale electricity. The market, which is between energy generators and retailers, will be suspended and reviewed on a day-to-day basis because the regulator says it's impossible to ensure reliable electricity supply under the current circumstances. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.